0: I can remember, <laughs> I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I was mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Pay no attention to that
1: man behind the curtain. Is he only
0: you about the time machine? What a delusion. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. (laughs) Hello there, children. Hey, (laughs) kids. People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
2: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show,
0: Annie Goodman and Matthew Duff. Woohoo! Nothing is anything wrong with us. Because he has a lot of chips, <laughs> oh,
3: Monday, August 4th. And welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18 year young adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co host, Andy Goodman, is off for the evening. But we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy, with me folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world
1: one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners here on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on Stupid Cancer Show. Tonight's show, our season 14 finale, Stupid Chemicals. Did you know
3: that 2% of all chemicals are regulated for human safety? And that is really, really horrible. Join us tonight as we discuss this ridiculousness with Lindsay Dahl, Deputy Director of Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, and Lily C., who's the founder and CEO of the Think Dirty app. We'll be discussing all about that. We're going to dive into the sketchy world of toxic chemicals, industry lobby groups, science, suppression, and more, and what you can do to make sense of it all and empower yourself to live a cleaner, healthier life. So our' spotlight on Chris Wark and in-studio guest, Georgia Buselli, joining us transatlantically all the way from Italy.
0: And I'm Maureen Sweet, manager of programs and operations at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live-tweeting throughout the broadcast at KinoDeck. So send me your questions and feedback anytime with the hashtag FBVU. All right. <laughs> Season
3: 14... I it would never end. Clothes. Finale, that's incredible.
0: My first full season.
3: <laughs> it is your first full season. That's very nice.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That being Mallory Rivera. Good evening.
0: Hello. How around the drums. Yes. <laughs>
3: How was your weekend? I understood you sang at a wedding.
0: Yes, I happened to sing at one of my best friend's weddings. Um, so that was fun. It was a good time. Yes. Good stuff. And
3: we should point out that you actually are a singer. Yes. Yeah. You didn't just
0: yeah. get drunk and I, say <laughs> yeah. I am I am technically a classically trained singer. Yes,
3: yeah, so it wasn't just like Kenny had too much booze and said, ah, yeah. wake me up. Right, here we go. No, yeah. no, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was asked.
0: I was asked, I didn't force myself. Yes. And hello Maureen. Hello, how <laughs> are you? Good. Good. Come on. I mean, I had the same weekend that you did. That that is true with Kenny. Yes. Hello, Mr. We've sir. We shared a weekend. Hello. We had our fabulous
3: board retreat and strategic planning summit. Yes, which was was it, was it fabulous? I thought it was pretty fabulous. Well,
0: it's annual anyway. It is. <laughs> well, we I'm had tough. a good time. Yes, yeah, exactly.
3: No, it was great. It was really great, and um, we we brought together I think it were like eleven of us or twelve of us.
0: Uh, on Sunday? Yeah, on Saturday. Saturday, we were like, yeah, 13, 12. 13.
3: It was nice. Uh, so, for those of you out there, we have a wonderful board of directors and a bunch of stakeholders that all came together to help us figure out what the hell we're doing. And are we yes. doing it right? And how do we do it more?
0: Yep. And better.
3: And better. Mm-hmm. More and better.
0: More and better.
1: Same more time. better. <laughs> more better. Yep. Moss Betterer. Yes. All grammar, yeah. nothing but grammar Yeah, we had a here. great
0: time. We, yeah. have, we have board members that are located across the country, so the people in from as far as Rochester yes, and Maryland and L.A. Yeah. So, uh, so it was good having them in town and yes. having everybody in one room using our brains collectively to do some of the good ideas. Yeah. So
3: anyone that listens to this show regularly, we already know you you, you are a fan of what we do ideally, and Hopefully. you uh, well, are I've in for seen- some really cool surprises coming up this year for 2015. Very good stuff. Yes. Speaking of which, we launched registration today. We don't like the timestamp episodes, but today is the day we launched registration.
1: Yes. We we like saying that we don't like the timestamp
3: episodes. (laughs) But we
0: timestamp everything. Yes,
3: exactly. But uh, the OMG Cancer Summit is happening in New York again. We call it it OMG East.
0: Mm -hmm. This
3: is the third annual OMG East. Yes. And we are expecting 225
0: or so. 200 or so ish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, the website is OMG East. It is a one day conference. And it's dot org. Thank you. It is a one day conference. Uh, we are working on uh, something. Actually, tonight's show, Stupid Chemicals, is going to be a future plenary session and discussion,
1: mm-hmm. as well
3: as manage uh, wh- what do we call Julie's session?
0: It's, um. I don't know the name it's of like it, it's like, mindful like a, it's a
3: wellness. wellness and yeah. how to make sense of the madness and not go insane and all yeah. that stuff. Very good. And, um, yeah, September twenty seventh, near Law School in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It is free, and you can sign up today at yes. omgeast.org. dot org.
0: Yes, the or, slots are filling out fast, so do not delay.
3: Yes, actually, what sixty eight people signed up today?
0: Uh, we're in the sixties. Yeah, so we're getting close to a third full.
3: That's impressive for like day after one. After about of, like, eight hours, yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. Much. So. So like I want
0: popular. <laughs>
3: we're doing something right but I did want to point out that I had a wonderful meeting last week at cancer care Mm
4: -hmm. and lots
3: of people don't know about cancer care, cancercare.org. They are one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the country that do direct one-on-one clinical uh, psychology, like support social worker support, therapy support for anyone affected by cancer, including caregivers, uh, siblings, uh, spouses, children, and those who are also bereaved. They do a wonderful group for teenagers whose parents are sick, nice. and uh, they are rebranding. They're going through all sorts of wonderful changes, and we are now part of a larger national conversation with them to build better programs together, Mm -hmm. so cancercare.org. And just as a quick side note, I was at Cancer Care. I went to Cancer Care in 2005 with Julie Larson, interestingly enough, who was where I met her. Julie Larson is going to be speaking at OMG East. She is a licensed clinical psychotherapist for young adults with cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I first met her at Cancer Care. I was part of a writing workshop at Cancer okay. Care. And uh, that was my introduction to what they do. So they, they do really wonderful programs. So CancerCare.org, good shout-out, way out for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But I did want to also uh, talk about this uh, really cool, I remember like Seattle Children's a couple of months ago or years ago did a Kelly Clarkson, "What Makes You Stronger," yep. uh, viral yep. video yep. of everyone singing on the floor.
4: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: our board chairman Leonard Sender is trying to recreate that magic uh, by using a compass by Letty Antebellum. and we posted it on our wall, and mm-hmm. it got a few—I don't know, twenty or thirty thousand people liked it. We're trying a to couple,
0: get a couple people. We're trying know. to
3: get the the the. They did a really, really good job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well done, Lenny. Yes. So, Kenny, what's up?
1: Uh, not much. Just battling off
3: something, I think. You think?
1: Yeah. Really?
3: Yeah. yeah. So what's the latest in the store? Zombies. Uh,
1: we have a lot of stuff happening in the store. We have um, all new styles to choose from. <laughs>
0: Interesting.
1: Uh, we have some new I Am A Survivor shirts coming out in multiple colors, which is a big deal for us since we uh, typically stay within our comfort zone. Right. Of um, gray. Yes, great, yeah, it's great, great scale. Uh, we also have a stupid cancer motorcycle design, uh, which will probably coincide. So if you ride, even if you don't, if maybe you're a fan of the show Sons of Anarchy or just motorcycles in general, right? The
0: style, yeah. next style.
1: It is, it is. Um, perhaps it's in your, uh, in your interest to pick one up.
3: So I saw that you were looking at the leather. Wristband, possibly.
1: Yeah, that was, is that a thing? Yes.
3: Yeah. It is a thing. Are we dropping it on the show tonight? No. No. Okay. Yeah. No one listened to what I just said. It is
0: not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the future. No, but you did Imagine ask. Imagine a world. You,
3: you did a wonderful thing. You asked the crowd on our wall, "What do you like? What did you keep? What made? What was
1: important to you during your treatment?" Yep.
3: And like three hundred and some odd people left comments.
1: <clears> you're probably going through them. Yeah, it's one of our biggest posts lately. What was, so what was the takeaway? Any common threads? Um, blankets. Really? Comfy clothes because chemo centers are cold. So Looks like
0: our office. I could use <laughs> one of those. Perhaps yes. there's room for a super <laughs> cancer, for all.
1: Snuggie. Super super cancer snuggie. shawl. Yes.
0: Yeah. Stupid cancer onesie. He'll
1: have his own website. We <laughs> Like
3: adult
0: hoodie pajamas. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would love adult hoodie <laughs> <your> pajamas in the <laughs> office. Some gloves, because that would be great, too. <laughs> Not enough hours. Or, or like, yeah, just, like, finger, fingerless, fingerless gloves. gloves. Yeah. But I have the option of covering. Right.
3: Yeah. Well, all right. Well, it is 810. Let's kick off the show here. We have a, uh, a great uh, gentleman in the Survivor Spotlight tonight. So diagnosed with a stage 3 colon cancer in 2003 at 26 years old. Uh, Chris Wark had surgery, then chose nutrition and natural therapies to heal instead of chemotherapy. Today his mission is inspiring people to take control of their health and reverse disease with a radical transformation of diet and lifestyle. His website, ChrisBeatsCancer.com, has reached millions of people worldwide and he has made many appearances on radio and television, including the Ricky Lake Show and the Lisa Oz Show. But even more special was he met Kenny Kane on the Stupid Cancer Road Trip in Nashville. Please welcome Chris War. Chris.
4: Hello, hello, Matthew. Thanks for having me, man. No, we, we are, are
3: we are excited uh, to have you back. Um, Kenny uh, is actually Memphis.
1: Was Memphis? Is Memphis? Well, I'm from It New was New Memphis. Jersey is the same. We're, we were at the. Uh, what was that place called? The Deli.
4: Young Avenue Deli.
1: There you go. There you go. It feels like yeah. a long time ago. Already. Well, I think it was.
4: Two years ago, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, or at least eighteen months or so. That was the. Uh, yeah. I think we had the in Vault. Oh, that was in 2013, right? You there. did have that. Wow. Oh. That's right. Vintage yeah. Road Trip. Yeah, Vintage Road Trip.
3: Well, no, Chris, we're really uh, excited to hear you. I, uh, you're a provocateur, to say the least, and a disruptor, and I <laughs> have sincere regard for that because that's kind of how I started. And uh, I I had to calm down a little bit because we needed funding, but at the same time, uh, it it worked, and it made a sense, and and it got attention, and uh, I I agree uh, with a lot of what you discussed, and I'm really impressed with how you're owning it, and and I think that's that's to be commended. Uh, So, yeah, so you are celebrating 11 years cancer-free from colon cancer. Um, I'd love you to just kickstart what was life like at 25 years old, and how did all this begin?
4: Yeah, so life was pretty great actually for me when I was uh, I was 26 when I was diagnosed. I, I was a real estate investor. I was buying rental houses and flipping houses, and I'd been married about less, you know, almost two years. And uh, yeah, life was good. It was it was very good. And uh, so, but I was having some pain, and I kept putting it off because I thought I kind of kind of thought I had an ulcer, and went to the doctor. They thought I had an ulcer. And gave me some medication that didn't help. And eventually, you know, over the course of 2003, um, most of the year, that sort of abdominal pain that I was having got worse. And then eventually I ended up getting a colonoscopy, and they found this golf ball-sized tumor in my large intestine. Said, hey, we got to get you into surgery right away. we got to get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And so, you know, I, I was like, uh, you know, like any typical cancer patient, sort of deer in the headlights. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever, I guess we got to have surgery. So I had surgery, and then they said, oh, well, it's worse than we thought. You're stage 3C. It spreads your lymph nodes. We took out everything we could see, but you need 9 to 12 months of chemotherapy. So, um, but a couple of interesting things happened when I was in the hospital. <laughs> the first was, and I'm kind of famous for this story, but they cut out a third of my large intestines. And the first meal that they served me, was a sloppy Joe.
1: (laughs) The worst
4: cafeteria food you can think of is what they served me, you know? And I remember they brought it out and I'm just like, what in the world is this? Like, why are we serving this to sick people? Why are we serving them the cheapest, crappiest mystery meat, like just garbage. And, uh, then a couple days later, the surgeon comes in and it was, I was checking out the hospital to go home and I, and I was kind of worried about what I should eat or not eat. I didn't want to mess up the surgery, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to go home and, like, eat some Doritos and, like, screw the whole thing up. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, hey, you know, is there any food I need to uh, eat or, or avoid or whatever? And he said, uh, he said, no, I just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. All right. So,
1: so this,
4: this that, that was far a nutritional it. advice.
3: I was, I was going to say, this is not that long ago. This is not the Stone Age of, like, when I was diagnosed in the 90s. This is 2003. There was a full yeah. awareness of nutrition and diet and you know, anti-cancer types of nutrition out there. So you're, what hospital was this, by, by the way?
4: Yeah, uh, this is Batch's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee.
3: All right. So, so do you think yeah, it's you
1: just
3: called literacy? Where in the process do you think it failed where they're giving a colon cancer patient a sloppy joe after surgery?
1: Yeah.
4: Well, hey, look, I mean – been, there's been a lot of – I mean, the research that's come out about anti-cancer nutrition, and there's thousands of studies, you know, and it's really ramping up, and we're seeing a lot of good things happen, and we're seeing hospitals actually convert their menus just in the last few years to organic food, and, which is amazing, but yet 10 years ago, really, it was almost like the Stone Ages uh, because there was just no – nutrition was not even a part of the picture. I mean, my surgeon had nothing to say about it. Obviously, the hospital wasn't serving – Nutritious food. They're just serving the cheapest cafeteria style food they could get, I'm sure. So, you know, it it was just, uh, (laughs) and there's still a lot of hospitals today that are serving food that's equally as bad. So, but fortunately, the trend seems to be moving toward awareness because so many patients are coming in and they're saying, wait a minute, you know, this is not healthy food. Like, I want healthy food. Where is it? So, hospitals are catering to what people uh, want.
3: You were almost trending on Twitter ten years ago because today, you are right. We have numerous cancer centers on the show, and the conferences we exhibit at, and even our own events that we host, we are very conscious of nutrition in that. And there are hospitals; there are now clinical oncology dietitians, I believe that's a specialty mm-hmm.
4: now.
1: Sure.
3: And there are dozens of organizations that exhibit at our events and that we have profiled on the show that talk about yeah. how to or healthfully and how to choose. Uh, we we did a show a couple of weeks ago about um, uh, it was called Radical Remission is that what it was
1: mm-hmm. and, Yeah, Dr. Kelly
3: Turner. Yeah, Kelly's amazing and yeah, she, she has you know, I'm in her book. <laughs> she, yeah, I, I read her book too. Actually, Mallory read her book. <laughs> I watched Mallory yeah. read her book. But she was here live in studio and we had a very just a, a, a pr- prophetic conversation um, about this. I guess my question to you is, you know, you had this, it seems like you had this instinctive wherewithal at the time that many patients might not have. Where did that come from? What predisposed you to, to almost what one might consider take a significantly life-threatening risk and decline yeah. chemotherapy?
4: Decline chemotherapy. Well, it's kind of funny because I had no experience with the cancer whatsoever. No friends, no family members, no reference point at all. But I'm a really instinctive kind of person and, The idea of, like, poisoning my way back to health, like, it just, it was so foreign to me, and I could not wrap my mind around it. And I just had this major dilemma, you know. And uh, my wife and I prayed about it. I was like, God, if there's another way, just show me. And a couple days later, man, a book showed up on my doorstep that was written by a man who had healed colon cancer using nutrition, hardcore raw fruits and vegetables, juicing, like, the whole, you know, radical diet change and I was like okay well I asked for an option and this showed up and it made a lot more sense to me you know and I, and I kind of realized I had this sort of epiphany that wait a minute maybe I'm sick because I haven't been taking care of myself and because I've been you know I grew up in, in the fast food generation I've eaten all this processed food and junk food and maybe if I radically change my diet and lifestyle like change my whole life then something will happen that will enable my body to heal and for, for me to get better and live, right? And that's what happened.
3: So talk us through that then. I mean, obviously, a book is just one part of the puzzle, and Dr. Google yeah. wasn't nearly the wealth of nonsense it is today. Where did you – and, and the other question I would have was your, your family. Were they completely, like, mind-boggled that you're going to take this risk when, you know, the, I would imagine the traditional way that most people think is you have to do this. This is science.
4: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom was, was supported me. She had always kind of been into nutrition and alternative medicine and some stuff like, you know, I had a lot of books and stuff that she'd read over the years and so she supported me, but there was a lot of family members that said, look, you're making a mistake. You know, if there were better therapies, they'd be using them and, and uh, alternative therapies, quote unquote, don't work. And so they instilled, you know, that made me even more terrified. Uh, And I went to see an oncologist, you know, and to consult and get his opinion. He told me if I didn't do chemotherapy, I was insane. So there was a a tremendous amount of pressure on me to just follow the prescribed path. But my instincts and my intuition were so strong and beating against that so hard that I I really was more comfortable taking my life into my own hands and radically changing everything uh, first. You know, chemo. For me, it was, it was almost like a last resort that, you know, I was like, I can always do that. And I understand they may say, oh, now it's too late. But I knew there were things I had to change and I wanted to change. And, you know, it sounds like a crazy hard decision and it sort of was. But at the same time, it, it just seemed easier than, than the other, than the option they were giving me. You know?
3: Well, but the surgery
1: helped, right?
4: Surgery, yeah, surgery can help. It can certainly help. For me specifically, the five-year survival stage 3C uh, is about 28%. Ten-year is like 16%, okay, even after surgery, and with chemo, right? Those are the – so the the doctor told me I had a 60% chance of living five years, which was frankly just a lie. He just told me the average for all cancer patients. He didn't give me colon cancer-specific numbers, but I've learned that later. So – Yeah, surgery can help. Certainly, you're reducing the bulk of a tumor, but, you know, there's kind of a fundamental difference in belief systems that a tumor, is the tumor the real problem, or is it a symptom of a sick body? And if a tumor is a symptom of a sick body, then removing the tumor does not solve the cancer problem. And I know you know this, and most people do.
1: uh,
4: There's lots of people that have tumors removed all the time, and new tumors grow because it it didn't solve the underlying problem they're still sick and unhealthy. So, you know, knowing what I know now, would I have surgery? Probably not. I probably, you know, would embark on a radical diet change first and see if, you know, see if my body got well. And if it didn't, then, of course, the other therapies are available.
3: Right. So the conversations we continue to have and really circle around this very philosophy of questioning proven science, and without getting into conspiratorial stuff, there is now legitimate clinical evidence, such as Kelly Turner's book and a lot of nutritional facts and even some of the genetic breakthroughs they're making, that inflammation and alkalinity and some of the biotoxins, and even if you do radically change your diet, you could still live near a toxic cesspool and drink water that you can't. Milk with. So what are the things that you, you, you feel like you can meaningfully take control over, and then how have you made decisions around us uh, situations that you can't, and I will frame that through the couching of the, this very show, that yeah. 2% of all chemicals are regulated for human safety, and you might be vegan and yeah. what, you wake up in L.A. drinking, you know, uh, Starbucks and breathing smog and driving in a brand-new car with parabens in the couch seats.
4: Right. So, you're, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're surrounded by environmental toxins that are mostly man-made, and so and then that's definitely a factor. Um, and I'm looking forward to what the other guests say about this, but, um, so I changed everything. Literally, I bought a water distiller and started drinking distilled water. I only ate organic fruits and vegetables. The first 90 days I was hundred percent raw vegan, no cooked food, only fruits and vegetables. Okay. So I removed all the toxic chemicals from, from my home, all the cleaning products, all the personal care products, everything. Um, and so I literally pulled out all the stops. Everything that I thought could possibly be contributing in, in the smallest way I removed from my life, uh, you know, and I was juicing, I was drinking 64 ounces of carrot juice every day, major hardcore juicing, taking tons of supplements. I mean, really, I was, I was determined to live and I was willing to do whatever it took to get well, you know, and I read a lot of books. There was, you know, 10 years ago, man, th- there wasn't jack on the Internet about healing cancer, about anti-cancer nutrition, about any of this stuff. And PubMed didn't even exist. So uh, everything I got, everything I learned was literally from paper books. <laughs> I, I didn't get any information from the Internet 10 years ago to help me.
3: So we have about five minutes left of the segment. And, uh, I mean, hey, we're, we're thrilled. We assume your health is, is good today. You're very active yes. on oh, yes. Online. Um, so I want to talk about your content. Again, I started off the segment by saying you're a definite provocateur, and yeah. I, I see a little bit of, of myself in that because I got in trouble and, and did a lot of, you know, uh, I would just say very, you know, interesting things in, in my way to get attention. So the uh, you, you blog and write at chrisbeatcancer.com, and you have a lot of posts that are that – some of them are interesting, some of them are, are, are very inspiring, uh, some of them are very factual. You have a lot of, of people on your mailing list. You give a lot of advice about nutrition, which is great. You had a post called How the American Cancer Society spins Survival Rates, and I was hoping you could spend a minute explaining why this was necessary to talk about and what your findings were.
4: Yeah, so, you know, what the American Cancer Society did and is doing, first of all, the epidemic of cancer is exploding, right? More and more people are being diagnosed every single year with cancer, okay? So that's bad news. But what they did in their latest report is instead of framing, like, framing it truthfully and saying, uh, you know, the cancer epidemic is skyrocketing, which is the truth, they're saying the number of survivors is growing, isn't this wonderful, <laughs> right? That was their, the gist of their, basic, of their report. But they're really spinning the numbers because the number of survivors, what defines a survivor? According to them, all a survivor is is someone with a diagnosis. So when they say survivors are growing and, you know, we have more survivors than ever before, the truth of that statement is that we have more people diagnosed with cancer than ever before. And when you actually look at the cancer death rate since 1950, which was when chemotherapy was introduced, the overall cancer death rate has only come down about 5% in 60 years. It's crazy. And, of course, some, some cancers, the death rate has improved uh, dramatically. Testicular, Hodgkin's disease. Um, uh, what am I? I'm leaving out one. Um, well, in
3: ALL, which is the a number one... ALL is the Acute in yeah, yeah, yeah. Pediatric. Yes. Survival rates of ALL in children is 97%. So right, there exactly. is something to be said for that level of progress. And stage 1 and stage 2 breast cancer are 98%. So, But here's the, the problem.
4: So epithelial cancers, which are solid tumor type cancers, the survival rate for most epithelial cancers has not changed. I mean, a few percentage points in six decades, right? And so that's you know, most people aren't talking about that and that's not good news. <laughs> you know, my message is the body can heal, right? That people, that the cancer patient needs to really, really look carefully at their whole life and change their whole life in order to promote health and healing. And that's why I interview so many people that have done it, right? It's not just about me. Hey, I did it. You can do it too. Kind of a story. It's like, Hey, I did it, but guess what? There's a lot of people that have done what I did and, So really my mission is more just sharing all of those people's stories and experiences and interviews on the site, which you've seen some of them, I'm sure. But that gets me really excited because there's a pretty significant sort of wave or trend or whatever toward healing cancer. You know, it's not about alternative treatments or weird, you know, lotions or potions or whatever, right? It's about like hardcore nutrition. And the reason that's important, I think probably the most important thing people need to know is that cancer is a Western disease. It's, it's classified as a Western disease because heart disease, cancer, diabetes, these are diseases that were largely absent in third-world countries. And when you compare the difference in diet and lifestyle in third-world countries, especially from 50 and 60 years ago, before they were industrialized and had almost zero rates of cancer and heart disease and diabetes, why was that? Because they were eating a diet rich, in plants, almost exclusively plant food,
3: getting lots of fresh like air,
4: sunshine, in exercise, in and less stress.
3: If you'll permit me to step in for one second, I, I would yeah. like to just address a couple of things. And this is not a, 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 a this is a conversation because they recently found cancer in an Egyptian mummy that was 3,000 years old. And when Kelly was on the broadcast, Dr. Turner, we discussed how. The reason there was not much cancer 100 years ago is because the average survival rate of life expectancy was 45 and that cancer is primarily a biological disease of the aged. so no one was living long enough to get cancer. So that's just an observational fact. I also wanted to bring out that um, uh, that when Kelly was on the show, and I know we're, I'm referencing her because we share mutual respect and admiration, that in the autopsy reports of the um, hundreds of uh, patients that she uh, learned about in her study, 99% of them had cancer in their body, who were even healthy. So the science is now showing that cancer is a naturally occurring biological process, so everyone has cancer, whether it's dormant or active. So it, it, That's I, right. I would love That's you to right. clarify what you mean by how cancer is the body's way of fixing itself.
4: Yeah. So cancer is, you're right, it's natural and it is normal, and it, I don't believe it's something to be afraid of. Now, when tumors start forming, that's different, but your immune system is designed to identify and eliminate mutant cancerous cells. And it's only when there's a breakdown in the function of your immune system that cancerous cells can reproduce uncontrollably, unchecked, and your body is too overloaded, overwhelmed, immunosuppressed to stop this process, okay? And, yeah, right, they found evidence of cancer in mummies, but... When you really look at history, the incidence of cancer exploded with the Industrial Revolution. That's when cancer rates exploded, and when when really the first diagnoses of cancer were happening. But yeah, there's certainly evidence that there were cancers, you know, thousands of years ago. We know in America between 1900 and 1950, the death rate tripled, the cancer death rate tripled in the first six years.
3: Tobacco of the twentieth century. Large tobacco.
4: What's that? Yeah, that was yeah, large. Tobacco was tobacco tobacco. a big factor. Tobacco was a big factor, but it wasn't all lung cancer, right? So so that was a big you know, that was a big problem. Um, and but our diet and lifestyle changed a lot in the first fifty years of the twentieth century. Meat and dairy started to be subsidized and the consumption of meat and dairy really, really went up. And the consumption of processed food and fast food and industrial oils, all that stuff really skyrocketed. Um, and you said something earlier that I, that I think was a good point that I wanted to touch on, which was when you look at the average lifespan of, you know, a hundred years ago, and people say, Oh, it was 47 or 53. It wasn't like, it wasn't really, people didn't all die at 47 and 53. There are people alive today that were born in 1905, right? They're 105 years old, 106 years old. So the truth is, the reason that the life expectancy was so low was because of infant mortality. Infant mortality accounted for something like 30% of all deaths in 1900. Now it accounts for like maybe 3%. So there's been this huge reduction in infant mortality, which has increased the average lifespan on paper. But there were lots of people living into their 80s, 90s, and 100s, you know, all throughout the 20th century and, and not getting cancer. Right, and I well,
1: think I, some of the most valuable I, information is when we is when we look
3: I, around um, the world at populations. Yeah, so First, I'm sorry, we have to end this segment because, I, but I want to have you back on the show this fall. I think we could have a full 30 minute segment with you alone about this. So I apologize. Oh yes for I, can, I can I can talk for, for
1: hours. <laughs> no,
3: and and this is, a, this is a good conversation to have. But I want to thank you. Chris Warp uh, is a 11 year colorectal cancer young adult survivor. The blog can write at com. Chris Work, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks, guys. Right. All right, let's breeze through the news here, Kenny.
1: Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer.
3: Just the facts, ma'am.
1: Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop-job calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want you missing out. We have some meetups happening in Centennial, Colorado, Cody, Wyoming, and Raleigh, North Carolina.
3: All right. Registration, again, as we mentioned at the uh, top of the show for the New York City OMG Cancer Summit is open. We encourage all of our friends and listeners to sign up and join us on September 27th in New York City at New York Law School with hundreds of your fellow young adult patients,
1: survivors, and caregivers. OMGEast.org. Cancer is lonely, period. And we've got the cure, and it's called Instapier, our forthcoming free mobile app that will bring instant, anonymous peer support to anyone affected by cancer. Visit Instapier.org to watch our video, learn more about the project, and consider making a donation so you can be part of history. That's Instapier.org. It is always a good time to
3: stock up on your Stupid Cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from, including an awesome skateboard. And don't forget about Flip, the Cancer Bird, our latest plushy mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right. Going to be good, good second half of the show tonight.
1: Crazy awesome
3: guests. Stupid Chemicals, we've got returning champion Lindsey Dahl, deputy director for Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, a longtime public health environmental activist and advocate, worked with people from all across the country to push Congress. And major retailers to get tough on toxic chemicals and safety reforms. Lindsay also runs the Safer Chemicals online program and social media campaign. And Lily C, who is the founder and CEO of Think Dirty, an insanely amazing mobile app that everyone needs to download and helps customers understand ingredients on cosmetic and personal care products, stupid chemicals. Welcome, Lindsay and Lily. Ladies. I tell you, this topic never gets old.
1: Yeah, it certainly no. doesn't. <laughs> yes.
3: So, uh, well, Lindsay, you're a returning champion. You'll be speaking at the OMG East uh, Summit in New York about this very issue. And, Lily, I had the pleasure of meeting you in Toronto uh, in an yes. interesting serendipity of calendar events. Um, and uh, I, I'll let you go first. I, I think that you are uh, a really uh, – innovative human being in the sense of this app it just seems so simple and so obvious but you did something and george carlin once said that if you stick two things together that have never been stuck together before someone will buy it and that is the think dirty app so, so talk us through where you came from what how this got started and what it's all
2: about sure thank you so um it all starts from um, the story of how um, I'm really aware of all the risk factors associated with breast cancer because of my mom. So she's a breast cancer survivor. Um, as I read more about environmental factors related to cancer, obviously food is a huge factor, how you eat, how you exercise, like earlier guests talk about. Um, but one of the factors that I find most women overlook is, um, you know, chemicals in beauty products. And I find what's interesting about beauty product is it's beyond just what you use it. Women's uh, relationship with beauty product is very emotional and personal. And it also implies self-esteem, confidence. So, and also I find one interesting thing about the media, they're focusing on the emphasis being beautiful. And in most cases, women chose to be beautiful rather than healthy. So the light bulb just went above my head, why no one always talks about ingredients in fashion magazine or beauty magazine. And uh, I developed the app basically like for myself because I find it very, very hard to actually understand, you know, ingredients label on beauty products. I mean, like, unlike food uh, label, which uh, usually they're somewhat standardized, Um, you have calorie information, the font size of certain sizes, it's black uh, type on white background. When you look at beauty packages, um, you know it's all over the place, right? Sometime on a lipstick is so tiny you can barely even actually read anything um so I had the idea a few years back, um but at that time, I was still working uh ironically full time as uh, art director in advertising and um as as you know you know in advertising, you have to sell anything right so I find sometimes some cases the client. Uh, objective, it doesn't align my personal uh, value, which is very focused on health and, you know, natural and things like that. So um, the light bulb just went off. I'm like, I really want to pursue this. Um, so I took uh, kind of like a leap of faith. I entered uh, kind of like a startup uh, competition. And uh, in my mind, at that time, I thought "If this thing people like it, you know, if I win the competition, I'm going to take it full time." So a few years, uh, two years ago, very fortunate we win the competition. So that's how it all started, and then lead to currently how we have really good user support and things like that.
3: And again, it, it's, a, it's a stunning example of of, uh, of innovation and just thinking. I hate the expression outside the box, but you really. Put two and two together with this. So let, let's go back to Lindsay. Lindsay, welcome back to the Super Cancer Show for the forty thousandth time. We this <laughs> issue never does get old, and you are the go-to person on on this um, in the entire world, as far as I'm concerned. But let's for the new listeners out there, let's let's uh, uh, trace the cord back to the wall. You are the deputy director at Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families. What is Safer Chemicals,
0: Healthy Families?
5: Yeah. Thanks for having me back. You're right. It does not get old talking about this issue. There's... um Never a dull moment. There's always some new chemical to be chasing (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Um, But, yeah, so Safer Chemicals Healthy Families is a national coalition. We've got over 450 nonprofit and business partners. Stupid Cancer, of course, is one of our valued partners. And we are a campaign that is collectively taking our um, collective muscle to try to pass stronger laws on toxic chemicals and um, create a marketplace that's more responsive to consumer needs. all of which is rooted in the peer-reviewed science showing that industrial chemicals were exposed to without our consent every single day in the products that we use on our bodies and in our homes, um, many of which are linked to cancer um, and various health effects like hormone disruption, infertility, et cetera. Um, And our coalition and campaign is unified in the moral urgency around if there's one piece of the puzzle that we can solve, whether it be cancer or learning disabilities or infertility, that being chemicals, then we have the moral urgency and responsibility to do something about it.
3: So let's talk about the history of the rationale behind this. In 1976, there was a law passed by, uh, with the um, support of Senator, the late Senator Frank Lautenberg. Talk about Tosca.
5: So yeah, TSCA is um, slang for this really flawed law, like you said, that passed in the 1970s um, when people were wearing bell bottoms and drinking tang. Um, a lot <laughs> has changed since the 1970s about what we know about chemicals and their health effects. And so what happened is Congress, you know, if you think about the 1970s, they passed all of these environmental laws. Um, and. Uh, Tosco is really flawed, so it gave the EPA zero authority to actually regulate chemicals. And the common example that we use is that asbestos, which is one of the most um, toxic and deadly substances we know in this earth, um, couldn't be regulated under this federal law. And so the question becomes, if you can't regulate asbestos under this law, what on earth can you do with it? And so the result is, because we've got this weak law, we have a consumer base and public that is... Um, assuming that the government is taking a leadership role and to protect us from the chemicals used in our consumer products. But, in fact, the opposite is true. And so we've got this overwhelming momentum of people all across the country that are up in arms about this and, quite frankly, should be, to say, you know what, Um, Congress, you need to step up to the plate. You need to pass some laws that actually protect us so we don't have to be, um, you know, having these crazy lists or the fantastic and sophisticated Think Dirty app um, with us at the store.
3: Right. So yeah, I was I watching the same thing. I, was, I was watching it. I want to get back to Congress and bring you back. Lily, one second. Yeah, On the,
0: the no daily
3: show, last year, a seen in Congress or one of the Democratic senators said that Congress has a lower um, uh, 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 opinion than headlights, which is actually mm-hmm. is true. Uh, it's something like four or 5%. And you have to wonder is Congress even a commodity in this? When you look at the app Think Dirty and you look at the repeal of BPA and you look at the bovine growth hormone, these are all citizen demanded changes by people voting with their wallets, without forcing the corporate culture to change without the government being involved. And, and Think Dirty is is another example of the citizen activist or citizen lobbyist. The word you taught me with Nancy Bernmeier from Breast Cancer Fund. What role is a citizen lobbyist, and and, and Lily, you are a citizen lobbyist.
2: Yeah, no, I think think that's the interesting thing. I think um, I find, you know, when I, during my past work, I find a lot of these knowledge I know personally. um, Now I can finally kind of like, kind of spread it out. So that's the exciting part of it and to add to the regulation our data regulation um so cosmetic is the same thing and it's interesting how um, there's a field class action lawsuit about false advertising claim on uh, organic and natural product and fda actually openly uh, refused to define what's the definition of natural. So not only there is one side about chemicals, um, the fact that natural, the word, is also absolutely means absolutely nothing, neither. So that adds to the confusion and the chemical side of cosmetic uh, uh, regulations.
3: Well, I mean, if you think about it, like cyanide is an element on the periodic table, and that is natural, but that will also kill you. Yes, exactly, and a lot of poison, also natural as well, actually. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so Lizzie, I think to where
5: your are
3: point, Matthew. Balance. Go ahead.
5: To your point, Matt Yeah, I was just, you know, going to jump in to say that um, you're right. The, you know, consumer economy is changing and moving the market way faster than Congress is, um, and that's really important. We can't underestimate how powerful we are in what we demand, the questions we ask of the companies we buy our products from. Um, and you know how much these new companies that are popping up are doing the best to make safe products um, for all of us to have in our homes. The other thing I'd say is that state legislatures are more responsive than Congress, and so states mm-hmm. all across the country have been passing laws, um, some of which are comprehensive in nature, to really look at chemicals in a robust sort of way. And um, I, at the end of the day, we need both... Um, consumer action, and we need the businesses to be responsive to that. And at the end of the day, we have to have both state and federal regulation because the the issue is so vast. There's over 80,000 chemicals registered for use in this country that if we go chemical by chemical and product by product, um, that's just kind of an insane, really long way of actually tackling what is otherwise um, kind of a systemic issue, and policy is really good at addressing systemic issues like that.
0: Yes.
5: So I think
2: for our app oh
0: sorry. No, go ahead. Um, so I
2: just want to add to that. I want to add to that the for our app It's using the consumer power to just forward the money. So um in, in addition to addressing the asking the government change the law, also by having people don't buy something if they don't believe in it, that is like because of all this chemical that's not good. That also put pressure of the company don't make certain product or remove that themselves with the financial pressure on that. Absolutely.
3: All right. So let's go back to the this uh, sort of citizen lobbyist component because I want to tie this into the the corporate side of things. So you look at uh, you know companies like Dow Chemical, which are have to traditionally been on the wrong side of history with this regulation, but then they come out with their own competing products that are safe and made from plants and vegetables and, and whatnot. Um, so they're they're building products that compete with themselves, but they're still profiteering off the consumer change can we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the flip side the, the lobby groups and industry and obviously this is a this is probably a capital issue and, and a money issue and a profit issue which which just makes sense as aaron brockovich model of thinking um against the ban you know the big corporate bad lobby people uh lindsay what's been your experience uh on on that side of the conversation
5: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you use the example of Dow Chemical, you know, both producing some of the old toxic, nasty chemicals but also making greener, safer chemicals at the same time and how that doesn't really quite make sense. Um, A lot of these companies are doing that. They're making safer alternatives, and at the same time, they're fighting regulation tooth and nail and for the most part having their trade association do the dirty work for them. Um, And, you know, I think what we're seeing is that they will hold on to the market share as long as they possibly can until we pry the formaldehyde from their grubby little paws. And <laughs> until, we, until we do that and, you know, government steps in to say, okay, no more, go- no more styrene, we now know it's officially linked to cancer, um, they will keep producing and selling that to make an extra buck. Um, but what I've seen, you know, going back in my 10 years of campaigning on this issue, when I started in Minnesota, is the chemical industry is absolutely ruthless in their lobbying. Um, we passed the first regulation of bisphenol A in the country, in Minnesota, and they sent in, um, you know, very... Slick and um, well dressed people from Washington, D.C., to defend the science. And, um, you know, they're really convincing and they do exactly what they did in Aaron Brockovich and um, Thank You for Smoking, which is an example that you like to use, Matthew. Um, you know, they're really, they're really, you know, convinced of their own science. And what science we use is the peer reviewed literature. Um, from some of the best scientists in the world that has been happening and evolving for decades um, to arm us. And eventually, you know, we we triumphed in Minnesota. States across the country have triumphed. Um, But the chemical industry is definitely playing dirty in D.C., and we need even more voices to help combat that.
3: So Mallory had a question for you guys.
5: Yes. Um,
0: I actually have a question relating to animal testing and cruelty-free products. Um, do you think there's a relation? And obviously, because they're not going to test things, put out products that aren't considered safe. Um, do you, what do you think? And how do you think animal testing and cruelty products, cruelty-free products, play into this mission?
5: Lily, do you want to go first, or do you want me to take that?
2: Um, sure. I think
5: that um, I think it's related but they
2: are kind of parallel. Um, animal cruelty is um, obviously very outdated method. It's been banned in Europe, in Europe 100%. Um, only happening, I think, in China is mandatory. So we do, in our app, we let the user know um, which products are cruelty-free. And I think... Because it's been so long, there are other more viable methods um, to test products, so that method itself is not um, is not required, and I don't think that would jeopardize the safety of the ingredients itself. Um, what our app is trying to do is let you know the long-term health impact, and those long-term health impacts of those chemicals are already known by many, many previous tests before, so we're not going out there and need to require do new tests, and even new tests require not Needed to be done in the old ways, so I think they're a parallel related issue, but not directly like jeopardize one one or the other. That's kind of my take on it,
3: Lindsay
5: yeah, I think um there's two issues here I think you know, ditto to what Lily just said about um testing on you know actual products on animals like cosmetics is something that is widely unneeded and um and you know. I guess unneeded is the best way to describe it. When you look at um, testing, and maybe this is what your question was getting at, of chemicals on animals, specifically laboratory animals, um, that's where things get a little bit more complicated. Um, We, you know, try to take the stance that there's a lot of the science around the chemicals we know is from laboratory testing using um, lab rats, and there's ways and processes within the laboratory system to, to reduce the amount of animals that are being used for those studies. And, um, you know, a lot of that science has been really informative because the other results, the other option for us to really figure out how we're exposed to these chemicals and their health effects is to test on humans. Um, and some would say that we are testing on humans right now in a wildly uncontrolled experiment that we have, you know, lots of data, but it's hard to kind of parse through the human effects. And so. Um, you know, a lot of the peer-reviewed science around the links between, you know, the rise in cancer rates and childhood cancer and certain types of solvents does come from laboratory animals. And so, you know, finding a balance between decreasing the amount of um, laboratory animals that are needed to use for these testing, but also gaining the public health knowledge we need to take regulatory action um, is a balancing act. And in some different um, versions of the legislation that we've seen before Congress, um, that balance has been struck.
3: So, so let me go back to the app for a second, Lily. The app, again, sure. for those out there, Pinkie Dirty uh, lets you scan barcodes and it tells you whether your, I don't know, your your hair color is going to give you leukemia or something like that. Talk about, you know, I mean, I just kind of oversimplified it clearly, but I, I would love to hear what your, I mean, and we, the only reason I know about this was Lindsay mentioned it in front of 600 people in Las Vegas at our annual conference, <laughs> and I'm glad Jim, you did because I'm a huge fan of it now and it scared the crap out of me, but. Thank you. What have been the, uh, the takeaways in the last couple of months since the app launched? What what are the um, are there common denominators Are the low-hanging fruit? Are there specific products that are, you know, it would be great to know if, like, enough people were not buying X, and then you can go to that company and say, ha-ha, you have to come kill me yes. now because I'm reducing your profit.
2: I think I find it interesting is um, a lot of companies did a really good job um, promoting their image as natural by a combination of you know psychology and cost marketing and greenwashing right so you know for example some company they really emphasize on you know we give money to you know save water or we give money to the rainforest or we against animal testing all of those are great things but it does not mean that their ingredients does not contain paraben, for example. And I think that's the interesting thing I find people find it very hard to associate with. You know, like, for example, some well-known brand, am I allowed to say the company name? Um, Like, I mean, it starts with letter A, right? And then everyone would think it's, um, you know, very natural and, you know, because the image looked natural. And then, I mean, years ago it probably is, but then again, since it got bought by certain big corporations, along the line, they, their policy uh, on animal testing already changed, their formulation already changed. I think marketing and advertising is so powerful that once a user become loyal um, to the brand, it's just, you know, it just shakes the core, you know, like, um, for example, there are, um, you know, older generation, people would tell me, I can't believe, you know, this cream, you know, I've been using it, like my grandmother using it, my mom being using it, and then they all, also sometimes, don't tell me this is bad, you know, like, they just all have this very interesting, amazing emotional type because of the branding, the image, which, from someone who comes from, you know, advertising, I find it fascinating, right? Um, I think a few common denominator always watch for is, you know, um, for other high releasing agent. They're very hard to spot because they could all come in different names, right? So we did the kind of homework by associating all the variation of the name, and then give them one very easy to read definition what they are. Um, um, another thing would be, um, you know, parabens. Those are pretty well known. Sulfate, pretty well known. And f- uh, fragrance. I think fragrance is another thing that a lot of people because they think that something smells nice, it it, it means cleaner or something. But I mean, synthetic fragrances. The tricky thing is, um, it's full of hidden chemical, and by law, um, it's considered trade secret. So no company have to officially declare anything high under that. And we go to one big, big, big consumer product website. And when you look under the definition of perfume and scent, um, they have a section for consumer. If you dig deep, 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 there's a PDF of basically 26 pages. And I actually actually count the number of chemicals could potentially consider uh, scents and perfume. That's over uh, 1,300 chemicals. Could under the definition of perfume and scent, but if you get the product, which is like, let's say an air freshener and whatnot, and all they say is scent and perfume, and so potentially you could be exposed to over 1,300 chemicals just because of scent and perfume. So I find that is another thing that's very hard to get in people's mind because, again, fragrance smell nice. It got a emotional uh, feel good thing to it. Um, it's just I think overall beauty and personal care products, the relationship of that for women is always about self-care, self-tempering. So to hammer in the fact that these things could potentially have bad stuff in it is like a little culture shock. So um, I think I'll add kind of like sometimes give people the wake-up call they need it. And we're not saying that don't use anything, don't buy anything, but just you know, pick something that has fewer of those rated, uh, you know, dirty chemicals. And in a way, indirectly, you're spending money to support companies have better formulations. And then long term, the economy would play itself out. When you know, when the product doesn't have very good formulation, they eventually would phase out and quicker, even. Um, even before the law actually uh, regulates them. So um, that's kind of our overall purpose, is to get consumers forward the money with something that generally doesn't have any um, toxic chemicals in it.
3: And, again, it's mind-blowing, but I think we're looking... Again, if I, and, you, know, you and I shared this when we met, you know, the agency hats that we have. It's about manipulating people, and it's all psychology. But if you mm-hmm. look over the last decade or so, there has been a significant shift in in consumer awareness and and the very fact that there are even companies making their own competitive products is a sign of the times. I want to go back to Lindsay uh, to to close us out in the next five or or ten minutes, is what is actually going to happen in the elections this year and in the election in 2016? Are there things on ballots in states about this? Is it too granular and gets thrown into another bucket of environmental protection? Uh, Can you talk us through the bureaucracy of the politics on a state level?
5: Sure. I think – I don't know of this being a ballot issue in any states, um, but it certainly could be. Um, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, we're trying to educate the public – to know that when a candidate comes knocking on your door this summer, which they already have started um, in full force, this is fair game for you to talk to them about that issue. So when someone's running for office, whether they're you know, trying to get reelected or if they're trying to beat the person that's currently in that seat, they are uniquely vulnerable and susceptible to hear what you have to say. And this is a really key time for all of us as the grassroots to be educating those, um, you know, people running for office to say, guess what? This is not, you know, a, a third-tier issue. This is something I think about every single day when I'm interacting with the things in my home. When I go to my work, you know, the soil that's around my home. These are things I think about every single day. And to help elevate this issue um, to a higher priority for those running for state and federal office. Um, the other thing I think that's interesting is that, to varying degrees. Um, champions of this issue at the state and federal level are starting to catch on that this is a winning issue with the public. So, we've done um, tons of different sets of public opinion polling, and the results have been amazing. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, my issue is bipartisan. This issue is truly bipartisan, so much so that people will switch voting for someone for a different party if they're good on this issue or if right. you know the person that they normally would vote for is bad on this issue. That is really politically potent. And what I'm waiting for is for members of Congress to wake up to see how politically potent this issue is and how much people are thinking about this on a daily basis to realize, hey, you know what, not only should I be good on this issue when I'm elected into office, but I should campaign on this issue because the public gets it. It's not thrown in a bucket as an environmental niche issue. This is a public health and consumer safety issue. And that's the way the public thinks about it um, and kind of relates to it on a day-to-day basis.
3: And, and what is the current state of the bill? I know that the TOSCA bill from 1976 has been reworked a little bit. It has bipartisan support, but it's still basically like a, a, a dud, Right.
5: Yeah, so there was two bills um, before Congress this year, one in the House and one in the Senate. Um, There were different bills, but both of them were deeply flawed, and the idea was to update this broken law we talked about from 1976, but neither of them really got the job done. And public health groups and, you know, leaders like yourself, Matthew, and Stupid Cancer have been weighing in to say, you know what, we are going to watchdog Congress um, to make sure that reform that gets passed is actually real because we don't want to see some phony thing passed. And the cool thing is that, you know, this House bill that everyone, you know, came out of the woodwork to say this is not real reform, this will not protect the public from toxic chemicals, um, was stalled in its tracks. And you know, fairly recently it was reported in the D.C. newspapers that this bill wasn't going to be moved in committee. And you know, something that everyone in D.C. said couldn't be done. And so we showed, you know, the power of grassroots and public health opposition to say, you know what, go back to the drawing boards, come back, and um, come back in this next Congress with reform that's meaningful and real and something that we can support.
1: I mean,
3: and that's kind of why we have this sort of esoteric, stupidchemicals.com website that laypersonizes it, you know, through the lens of our snark in that sense, that we have the right to know whether our kids' raincoats will give them cancer or autism, or whatever, you know, that, that, so, so from the sense of the larger citizen uprising, we are, would you agree, both of you, that we are in definitely a better positioning than we were even five years ago for this?
5: Absolutely. I think um, we are, I mean, five years ago is when our campaign formed and, you know, brought together all of these partners. And I think the public is much more aware and more active on this issue. And, Anyone that's listening should definitely go to stupidchemicals.org and sign the petition because it's signing petitions like that. That helps stop this bad bill in its tracks and will ultimately help us pass reform that um, is real.
3: Right. We've got to get like a million Americans to sign this petition. And you know, is there any – do these work? I mean, I think, I think you can actually – we can have some good news here. Uh, because this is all kind of cynical and and, and horrifying and and whatnot. But there is good news here. Things do happen every now and then, correct?
5: Absolutely. And, I mean, like the example I just gave of the House bill that was defeated, that was because of people signing petitions and calling their members of Congress. And so people think, oh, it doesn't matter. If I sign up on this website, it's not going to matter we saw within the last couple of months that it does matter. Like, I see the fruits of this with my very eyes. Um, and I want to give a shout out, too, to, um, you know, three stupid cancer um, citizen lobbyists, um, Aaron, Kelly, and Lindsay, who recently came to D.C. with us as a part of a team of, you know, health groups um, raising a ruckus about this bill. And that kind of stuff, um, it works, and we just saw that. It's really exciting for me, and um, I hope we can only do more of that.
3: So let's wrap up here. Lily, what is the future of the Think Dirty app? I know that, that we had a very deep conversation about its potential, but right yes. now it is – how many people have downloaded it since? Uh,
2: we have close to 120,000 uh, downloads, and uh, we got uh, over 80,000 submissions. And submission meaning um, if you scan something in our database, people would take two picture and enter product names and – uh, brand name, so we can look at the chemicals and then enter in the database. Um, yeah, so that's where we are at now. So the future, I mean, we currently only available on iTunes, and we realize Office 3 is only satisfied half, you know, the smartphone population, and we got tons of requests for Android. So Android is very actively. Uh, being developed. We are very close to uh, open for public data very, very soon. So if you follow us on social media, you can keep up to date of our progress.
3: Awesome. And, and Lindsay, obviously, we mentioned at the top of the interview, you will be appearing in New York City at our conference at the end of September. But how can people take an active role with what you're doing beyond the stupidchemicals.org initiative?
5: Yeah, they can um, go to saferchemicals.org and um, join our email list. And the other thing is you can, um, if you ever have questions or if you're listening and you want to get involved and you want to do what Kelly, Aaron, and Lindsay had done and come to, you know, come to D.C. and um, talk about this issue, uh, you can just send us a tweet at saferchemicals, and um, we'd love to connect with you and find out ways that you can get more active in your community.
3: Excellent. Well, we've been speaking with Lily C., who is the founder and CEO of Think Dirty, a mobile app that helps consumers understand ingredients on cosmetic and personal care products, and Lindsay Dahl, who is the Deputy Director for Safer Chemicals Healthy Families. You can find them both online. Thank you both for joining us, and we will talk soon. Have a good night. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you.
3: So this conversation is consistently terrifying. Right. But
1: also,
0: hope inspiring. Yeah,
3: I mean, again, we look at trends. Thank you,
0: Lindsay and Lily, for your work.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I think. Good things. I, I would hope the state level stuff really is what forces the national level stuff, because we're seeing. I mean, look at other social issues that have gone Here's on, have you know, down. whether it's marijuana or whether it's gay marriage or or, or uh, student debt, even even um, uh, even the environmental issues like fracking. You know, these are state level issues driven by the citizens in the state and. You talk about free market. People will move states based on state policies. So I'm hoping that this is, this is a thing. And uh, mm-hmm. again, she is absolutely right. The manipulation and millions of dollars in psychological strategy around the, the, the structure of color and shape and image and, and vision and whatnot that make a product like Cheetos are not natural. But they say natural because they're baked and not fried but the fried are just as natural as the baked ones.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
3: anyway, I'm, suddenly germs don't seem so
1: bad.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah bring it, bring, Ebola, bring it on. It will be fine. Sure. Anyway, well, that is it. Season 14. Wow. It became the show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to
1: activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so... To all of you, upon farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, my goo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 314th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did, smoking a sick, and stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guest, Chris Ward. Lindsay Dahl and Lily C. All
3: right, folks, that's it for season 14. We will be on hiatus for a few weeks. Returning to the airwaves with our season 15 broadcast premiere on Monday, September 15th. Subscribe to our show anytime for free. On iHeartRadio, Talk, iTunes, Podcasts, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime online at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, Mallory Rivera, myself, and a whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your summer, and we'll see you back here after Labor Day.
1: Goodbye, folks. Stuck in a bed, up in the hospital